Hello. Is your highly esteemed British butler. It's indeed. Chappie. How's it going? Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It's episode number... 57. It's 57. It's 57 today. And uh, it's a beautiful, bright Colorado day. The sky is as blue as a pair of sailor's underpants. I mean, do sailors even wear underpants, one assumes? I mean, do they go commando? Or with that more on the military army side, maybe? Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, you would think that they might need long johns underneath if there's a cold easterly wind or something. So I, they probably don't go into the whole commando thing when you're on a when you're on a ship, especially up in the crow's nest, casting sail, you know, pulling up the skull and crossbones or uh, maybe the Union Jack, you know, humming a sea shanty or whatever these sailors do. But here we are again. And uh, so I uh, took the dogs for a walk this morning and uh, it was a little slippy and slidey, uh, ice melting and all. And I saw about maybe a trio of people slipping and sliding uh, in the ice and the snow, uh, melty snow. And, um, you know, I think I made a commission of around $100, I would say, uh, on the yak tracks. I mean, I was uh, demonstrating the yak tracks. I showed the yak track form on my feet. I uh, described the yak tracks in nauseatingly de- detailed uh, description there. And um, I, I, I think people are impressed. I think people are going to go and buy the yak tracks and uh, it'll stop them sliding. I mean, I am like a pirouetting uh, uh, heffalump or a hippopotamus. Uh, I don't have the pink tutu, but maybe I should. But, uh, you know, if, if you're a slippy, slidey heffalump hippopotamus uh, and you go down in the mud, it's terribly dirt and all that ums to get it to get off the uh, you need maybe a whole bucket of uh, oxyclean to, uh, uh, to, to to get all that dirt off but anyway so I made my probably my commission on the act tracks and um, people will be more secure in their tread moving forward especially I think we get another six inches of snow next week uh, winter is uh, truly biting out here so some of the things that we may or may not uh, be talking about uh, today on uh, on the podcast is, uh, you know, those, I don't know if you know those professional pooper scoopers, um, that, that people who come into your house and clear up, you know, dog poop or uh, any sort of remnants there. Um, are they still existing during COVID? You know, do they need to have extra long sort of implements to pick it up so you're not, you know, they're socially distancing and getting too close to you um are they going are, are the pest people still around and about are they um are they uh, are they involved in having work during covid um also the prices of cheese are rocketing i have a solution though. i have a solution um and uh also sleep are you a sleep machine person are you the cbd oil uh, we'll be looking at that a little bit um and also how does one change a light bulb on a chandelier um, I know first world problems but here in Chappie Towers it's very important especially if you have a little bit of vertigo when it comes to uh, changing uh, changing those light bulbs and you know we, we have the obelisks we have the crop circles I've seen a new sign of alien life here in the mud in Colorado today 
or, or it could be maybe misconstrued. Anyway, we will be looking at that a little bit later on the show. Uh, and then some of the other things that we, we may or may not be uh, discussing. So uh, the whole marmalade situation. I've been promising marmalade, but we have uh, the essence of marmalade, the, the, the recipe for a perfect marmalade. Now, I'm not going to be uh, cooking it in a bikini. I leave that to Liz Hurley. I, I, I will be slipping on maybe a Victorian bathing suit, though. I think that may be the order of the day. A little bit more coverage there. A little bit more uplift. I, I think that could be uh, it. Could be what we're looking for. Um, and then some of the things that we didn't maybe talk about yesterday. Bears find food in the gardens of uh, Rhode Island. Six lockdown beauty essentials. Are you struggling in the morning? How does one boost your uh, your energy as well? By Georgian. Need a working piano. Keep lockdown. Lizzie's busy. Um, also, uh, also where, while we were making banana bread. Here in the West, in the, in the Northern Hemisphere, I think the Southern Hemisphereites, the Aussies, were turning to babkas. Now, why did they turn to babkas? We'll be looking at that as well. Uh, we have more trumpet trombone, looking at the most hideous, awful headlines of the week, and seeing if it's going to be uh, a wah-wah trombone, or possibly a raspy sort of trump. Um, but that's going to be coming along the way. Historical tender we're going to have. We're opening up the Anglo-Antique Arc again to see what's inside. We have some more tasty bygone treats uh, in the Anglo-Antique Arc today as well. Uh, I think we may be having a little bit more of the social dilemma. And I discovered something today. I discovered something that could possibly change your life. If it doesn't change your life, it'll keep you from being bored because it's seriously a game changer in terms of the whole boredom stakes, I think. So that's what we have on uh, on the luscious podcast today um I, I mean it's probably not a blanket day so you know maybe take your take your shoes and socks off uh get some epsom bath salts a big bucket and maybe soak your feet for the next hour you know soften those toenails it's much easier to clip the toenails once they're soft and that's the first butler tip of the day welcome along be comfortable be kind to each other and enjoy the podcast so from Paddington Bear to Liz Hurley, we're all marmalade fans now. I do love marmalade. Triple butter. I mean, I've gone over this before. Slather that bread with butter. The toast. Slather the toast with butter. Um, but here's how to make your own marmalade. Another lockdown, another food item to obsess over for three weeks before abandoning it. We've already had sourdough starters and banana bread. But for the third lockdown, the nation has collectively turn to making marmalade if it's good enough for paddington bear uh i mean no the recent movie there was a spike in english marmalade sales then it's good enough for another working home lunch uh and uh, maybe uh, don't store your sandwiches in a hat it's it very sticky i mean you could use marmalade as some sort of uh, uh new age hair gel or wax or maybe sort of a clay I'm going to try that, you know. Like the golden shredder could make my locks luscious and golden again, I think. Marmalade in Britain is not new. It dates back to at least the Tudor period uh, when Henry VIII was gifted some uh, quince format rather than oranges. And there are reports the Queen enjoys it at Buckingham Palace. But today the citrus preserve is more insta-cool than historical as celebrities line up the Seville oranges to take part. Over Christmas, Liz Hurley had a go. On social media, she described it as a, as a demented housewife after producing 47 jars of marmalade for her larder. 
uh, with a view of making more. She didn't divulge where she uh, bulk uh, purchased all the oranges. However, uh, others have been less successful. TV uh, host Laura Jackson somewhat uh, failed her attempt, and Little Women actor Flora Florence Pugh even shared a marmalade tutorial. Unlike banana bread and sourdough, marmalade uh, brings a slightly different non-carbohydrate kitchen challenge. Uh, but during a period uh, where we have time on our hands, uh, there's something appealing about learning a new skill. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to have a go at marmalade, lots of vitamin C in there. Um, here are a few of the tips here. Use fresh Seville oranges. Their sourness and robustness make for a much better creating experience and finished product uh, rather than eating typical oranges. Consider the peel size. I mean, they always say it's not the thickness of the peel, it's what you do with it, I guess. Uh, but how hardcore do you want it? How thickly and in what shape do you cut your orange peel determines this. It's all personal preferences and aimed towards what you want to use your marmalade for. It affects the taste, density, and mouthfeel. So between the thickness of the skin, I guess, mix up your sugar, white granulated, has all the molasses refined out of it, but you may fancy something a bit more depth to it. Uh, in vintage thick cut marmalade, there's a mixture of white sugar and dark brown sugar. Uh, consider taking it to the next level. We add ginger and whiskey to some of the, uh, I've seen champagne and marmalade as well. A dash of the bubbly stuff would be absolutely delicious. Uh, marmalade uh, for life um, is for life, not just for toast. Uh, you can mix it into sauces. I've seen it in curries before. Uh, you can uh, add a little bit of scotch to it as well. Um, but a boozy twist on the British staple. Uh, 1.3 kilograms of civil oranges, two lemons, um, and uh, some water, 21 uh, kilograms of water. Uh, granulated sugar, two tablespoons of whiskey if you feel a bit bolder, and then you have the butter as well, as well. Absolutely lashings and lashings of marmalade on, really, as I said, just smell that toast and butter, marmalade on the top of it, absolutely delicious. Forget your diet for one day and uh, just revel in the civil orange delight. So I don't know if you, like me, uh, love reading sort of archive news pieces here. So I saw this in the London Times. It was an archive piece from January the 23rd, 1921. It was the Marylebone Cricket Club tour. Um, and it was uh, the piece was written by E.R. Wilson. The MCC team left St Pancras for Tilbury in the morning of September the 18th. The Bay of Biscay was unusually calm and had no terrors for our party, except for the Paul Hendren, who, uh, who had to sort seclusion on the first evening. We called at Gibraltar, Toulon and Naples, and the miscellaneous articles were brought out in small boats by enterprising uh, Neapolitans, uh, coral beads, mandolines, fruit, vegetables including some truly gigantic marrows. Uh, many cases of vermouth were also taken on board. Some of us visited the ruins of Pompeii, while Hobson Rhodes uh, motored to Bayeux, the Roman Brighton uh, other days, and the local driver frightened the famous pair for more than Horden and Cotter on the wickets of Australia. At Port said, we accepted an invitation to a musical evening with HMS Carandot, uh, where we met uh, Lieutenant Commander Horsey, who played for Lords uh, for the winning Navy team against the Army in 1914. Uh, on October the 2nd, we passed through the canal, reaching the Suez that evening. The cold water in the bath was 92 degrees, and the smoke room bath thermometer registered 118 degrees. On leaving Port Said, arrangements were made for deck sports and games. Mr. Fender, with Miss Elise Moores of Sydney, won the mixed doubles in the deck, and Jack Hobbs uh, also, and Wilfred Rhodes, the uh, bull board, and Henry uh, Henry Howell, the champion bolster fighter. Mr. Fender also won the prize for the men for the fancy dress ball uh, with a like, like, lifelike representation of a humble Arab. Uh, a day of uh, Colombo, 
Um, Dan Colombo enabled us to play a one-day match against the All Salon. Uh, Dr. C.H. Uh, Gamscara of Middlesex met us after breakfast. We marched off to be fitted with solar toupees. We uh, lost the toss and the home side went in first. There must have been about 7,000 people on the ground. The game which was drawn was played in the best spirit on both sides. Uh, and then um, and then next morning, eight of us and the manager were suffering from poisoning brought on by eating curried prawns. Colonel Douglas was so ill that the doctor gave him an injection of morphine. And there we go. <laughs> that was a, a classic um, a cricket article on a tour where you still had to catch the boat. There were no there was no flying in those days. Uh, and they uh, and they took the boat uh, from uh, from normally Southampton uh, to wherever they were going, whether it's India, Sri Lanka. Australia as well but uh, what spiffing days so you've got ladies six lockdown beauty essentials now I wonder what the chaps um, uh, beauty essentials would be so the ladies beauty essentials um, uh, lockdown beauty essentials would be first uh, first lipstick uh, nice red lipstick um, also um, then you'd have a lash lengthening curling mascara uh, that's number two uh, a good moisturizer to your whole body, a Chanel number no. five perfume, um, also um, hourglass equilibrium. Um, so th- I mean, th- this stuff, this stuff is a treatment balm for eyes. Apparently, um, it's a new skincare equilibrium, uh, which is essential for getting rid of the bags under the eyes, and also, uh, and also a little bit of concealer as well is also essential. But I mean, for chaps, I wonder what it would be. I mean. I don't think I could get by without a without a blow dryer and probably um, my uh, my hair clay. Uh, that that's rather essential there. Um, what else? Uh, you know, sweater uh, is, is is very essential as well. I would say, uh, in my case, probably uh, probably a lint roller uh, is essential. Uh, I may even add the yak tracks of the whole uh, situation when it's a little bit slippy underfoot. You don't want to be going down and making a mess of uh, mess of the chinos, certainly. Um, also, um, set of headphones also very essential, I think, in uh, uh, this, this day and age here. Um, but you know, maybe I need to start looking at uh, the concealer. That could be another uh, another option to uh, uh, conceal all those improprieties and uh, and uh, imperfections. So, by George and need a working piano, keep lockdown Lizzie's busy. Hobbies familiar to Jane Austen heroines are making a comeback. There's family swap screens for cross-stitch. As we're talking about, we've been talking about darning the last few weeks here. Darning and yarning. To fill the long days spent at home, the heroines in Jane Austen's novel master the arts of needlework, painting and playing the piano forte. For Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, knowledge of sing, singing, music and drawing and extensive reading was... It was, it was a definition of an accomplished person. Fast forward 200 years and the enforced confinement of the third national lockdown in the UK is making us all feel like we're living in an Austin novel ourselves. Retailers report that Britons are buying needlework, kits, acrylic paints, novels, and even pianos to pass the time. Fatigued by endless video conferences, homeschooling, and family Zoom chats, a growing rebellion against screen time has fueled the nation's love of physical books, and they seek out tech-free hobbies. The resurgence of traditional arts have been boasted in Netflix series Bridgerton, uh, the adaption of Julia Quinn's novels. Uh, the characters are often seen playing the piano, reading, sewing in, uh, in the drawing room. Cross-stitch shells have ridden by 545% this January. John Lewis, the, uh, the store, said embroidering cross-stitch kits were a huge growing trend. 
and then Catherine Patterson, customer director at Hobbycraft. Throughout the pandemic, we've seen increased demand for things craft, but traditional crafts such as those synonymous with the Regency era, such as needlework and arts, we uh, we definitely uh, are the most popular. Maybe maybe the the thimble is going to come back as well. I see lots of antique thimbles on eBay, but one needs a thimble if one is uh, cross-stitching, I would think. During the lockdown periods, uh, customers often return these crafts as skills to learn or rediscover, but also many of our customers tell us that it offers them escapism and the therapeutic nature of crafts such as embroidery helps them to switch off. Uh, so, I mean, people are, people are turning off the box, getting out the cross-stitching. It's a knit one, purl one. That is the uh, that is the clarion call across the whole world at the moment. I think. So I've been wondering about um, some of the uh, some of the services that were uh, rife uh, before lockdown. Are they still going on? Now, one of them is is the is the uh, pet waste picker upper, the pooper scooper, the professional pooper scooper. Now. Um, I was wondering if, you know, would they need new implements, like extra long, um, you know, items and, and, and abilities to prize up the waste and dispose of it without getting too close to anybody. I guess it's sort of fairly socially distanced as well, so th that would be fine. But apparently th there's no social distancing. There's, a, a, there's, there's also somebody in Texas, near Dallas, um, pet butler dog waste removal, and uh, and 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 the, these are these are a couple of people uh, in the Dallas area who've been providing the best in dog poop cleanup and pet waste removal services for residential yards in local communities. It says we specialize in dog poop services for commercial properties, apartment complexes. Uh, and the pet butler is more than just a professional pooper scooper. We treat each client with care, dedication, and the best interest in mind. We will diligently scoop dog poop and take care of your dog waste uh, removal from your yard or property. Um, and, um, you know, so, you know, you fill out your needs here, the number of dogs you have, and it gives you a price. I, I mean, I don't know if it's by the pound or not. Or by the or by several pounds, who knows if you've got a big dog. Um, but uh, so they provide the uh, waste removal service. You also get service notification alerts once everything's done, and also you can uh, sign up for a goose waste goose waste removal as well. And they handle a geese poop cleanup, and also um, afterwards you get a nice yard odor eliminator and disinfector as well. I wonder whether that would be the Chanel number no. five. Okay, so how the world has coped with lockdown. We, we had the banana bread, we mentioned that earlier, but Australians are turning to babkas, but what are other people looking at as well? One of the strange accompanying features of the pandemic has been its uh, universality. Just as the crisis has gone global, so is enduring the tedium of its associated lockdowns. Um, so you've got people from Singapore to Los Angeles to Spain, how they survived their enforced time at home. The answer came back the same sourdough. Even France, boulangeries are in commonplace uh, sales of flour and the bread makers are on the rise. Uh, in other respects, however, we're deviating in, intri in intriguing ways. Um, a journey down Google's most searchful terms reveals that the French spent last year seeking recipes for cheese naans, brioche and croque messieurs. Um, not only uh, any old croque, but the sort made by uh, uh, Cyril Linac. Uh, whose marble cake has a cult following. A friend in Burgundy tells me how the yogurt kimchi experiments are fizzing away in dark cupboards over the country. In Italy, searches for Nutella cookies and plum cake recipes peaked last year. I saw somebody this morning on TikTok. My daughter shared it with me. 
And basically, it was two bars of chocolate, uh, and then uh, the uh, gentleman concerned cut uh, into uh, ice cream containers, circular ice cream containers, and then scooped out these uh, round uh, pieces of ice cream, uh, put them between the uh, chocolate bars. So the chocolate bars were like the uh, bread of the sandwich. The contents were the uh, sliced off ice cream pieces, and then they smothered Nutella between two of these circular ice cream pieces, and then put the uh, other bar of chocolate on the other side. So you've got basically got a whole uh, chocolatey, heavenly tsunami going on with Nutella dripping all down your chin. Um, but Americans made a Deglona coffee, which involves furiously beating sugar, instant coffee, and boiling water, then pouring it over iced milk. Uh, Finns have made use of the discarded Christmas trees by knocking up uh, spruce syrup, less sweet than maple, and used for gin cocktails. Uh, a foodie in Melbourne uh, said we've moved to Babka's and Basque cheesecakes. Uh, and the only problem with the shortage of wooden spoons, uh, they've been requisitioned for Spoonville's villages of decorated spoons stuck in the ground all over the city to keep the, uh, keep the children entertained. South Africans uh, prohibited from buying alcohol have been taken to home brewing with pineapple beer, a uh, nation's fi- uh, favourite. At one point, pineapple sales increased tenfold and prices almost doubled. It's a bit like cider, apparently. Uh, a new mobile dipping zone in Copenhagen Harbour. It looks like a floating sauna with a hole in the middle. Is doing brisk business, even with temperatures as a frigid 4 degrees Celsius. Uh, and uh, the notion of being a global citizen had been much derided, but our lockdown's inclinations rather prove the point. Yes, our tastes may differ, uh, but m- more unites than divides us, and we all love bloody sourdough. Okay, so sleep is a huge topic out there. I'm terrible at sleeping. Um, I'm trying to get better. Um, but for those in search of safe uh, sleep aids, sound machines are a popular choice. A National Sleep Foundation found that 5% of Americans sleep with a sound conditioner. Uh, like a fan, phone app, noise-producing device. Michael uh, Grandner, director of sleep at the Health Research Program at the University of Arizona, says a blanket of sound those create is a lifesaver if you live in a busy street or anywhere where loud nighttime noise is common. But even if your bedroom is a pin drop quiet, sound machines can be helpful. If you're the type of person unsettled by a total absence of noise, and if your light sleeper wakes up from even the softest sound. Research supports the idea that a little background sound can help people tune out sleep-disrupting creaks or clatter. If you've got like one of those creaky four-poster beds we were talking about yesterday. Um, for a, a 2005 study in the Journal of Sleep Medicine, researchers exposed sleepers to recorded hospital sounds either with or without noise machines. Their analysis of the sleepers' brainwaves found that those who slept with a white noise machine were hardly disturbed by the hospital sounds, while sleep arousers were frequent among those who slept without the white noise. There's also pink noise and brown noise. I don't know if I want the brown noise when I'm sleeping. That sounds like some sort of sleep-deprived skid mark or something, uh, which can sound similar to white noise but have different underlying acoustical properties. White noise is uh, composed of a more or less equal mix of low-medium, high-frequency sounds. Pink noise and brown noise is low-frequency tones to a greater degree. So there we go. So they, there you have, have the uh, the sleep machines uh, that help. I do like... Uh, I do love the crackling fire. I think it's absolutely fantastic. That really helps me sleep. And I honestly wake up in the middle of the night and my feet all like feel like they're warmed by the fire. That's uh, how marvelous they are. 
But how about CBD uh, for sleep and insomnia? In recent years, the use of marijuana and CBD for the treatment of a variety of conditions have risen significantly. CBD has found to pretend, uh, potential health benefits to symptoms like insomnia. Um, so, so you basically got the uh, uh, cannabinoids and the CBD. Uh, cannabinoids are chemical components that bind to attach to certain receptors in the central nervous system. Uh, the best, most well-known research cannabinoids include uh, CBD. Um, that's obviously without the uh, without the uh, without the THC. Um, so, do they work? Not everything is completely understood how cannabinoids, including CBD, work. But we do know from research that CBD and cannabinoids interact with proteins and cells in the brain. A relatively newly discovered system also hold answers. Uh, researchers discovered that, uh, um, that these play a role in maintaining certain body functions such as the mood, appetite, sleep, and regulating circadian rhythms. Within the uh, um, endocannabinoid system is a, uh, is a network of cannabinoid receptors in the brain and central nervous systems, the two primary receptors CB1 and CB2. So cannabinoids attach to these cells and have various effects. As far as they may affect sleep, some research indicates that the cannabinoid CBD may interact specifically with the receptors potentially affecting the sleep-wake cycle. Additionally, CBD may also decrease anxiety and pain, and that both of those uh, can interfere with restful sleep. By reducing certain symptoms, it's possible that sleep may indeed improve. Okay, so we have another game of historical Tinder, and today we have Robert Devereux, third Earl of Essex, the great cuckold. Uh, you have to feel a bit sorry for the Lord of Essex. His father was Elizabeth I's uh, well-known favourite, um, and it must be hard to live up to that glamour and panache, uh, especially as Robert Jr. doesn't seem to have inherited any of it. At the start of the Civil War, he was in, uh, appointed General-in-Chief of the Parliamentary Army. And though he did his best, he wasn't a particularly successful commander. He lacked initiative and exerted no authority over his fellow generals, most notably Oliver Cromwell, who was instrumental in getting rid of him. He also set off on a campaign with his coffin strapped to the back of his coach, a sight that uh, didn't uh, instill much morale in the troops. So he failed to win a decisive victory at the Battle of Edge Hill. Uh, but also, uh, you may be wondering why, uh, why we're talking uh, about such an uncharismatic figure. It's partly because his name crops up over and over again game um, and um, and he's also known as a great cuckold when he was 14 years old uh, young Robert was married to a pretty spoiled self-willed Francis Howard and soon after uh, was sent off to the uh, Grand European tour not unnaturally left uh, before consummating his marriage and during his absence Francis had a passionate affair with Robert Carr one of the special favorites of James I when Essex returned from his travels Francis petitioned for an annulment of her marriage on the grounds of her husband's impotence. The resulting trial was hugely public. Essex maintained he was perfectly capable with other women and was only impotent with his wife because she uh, reviled him and called him different names. This is to say, this is when people started for sniggering. Francis didn't escape Scott for either, having been foolish enough, despite her well-known liaison with Robert Carter, to claim she was still a virgin. By the time of the annulment was granted in September 1613, Essex was a national joke. Uh, although it's another story, it's worth mentioning here that Francis subsequently married Robert Carr, the Earl of Somerset, and the two were brought to trial uh, with the for the poisoning of Sir Thomas Overbury. 
Essek was one of the judges in the case and, and pushed for the death penalty. I wonder why he eventually got it. But the sentence was never carried out. It's possible that he was one of the reasons Lord Essex chose Parliament over the Crown. He married again when he was 40 to Elizabeth Paulet, and this marriage was also a failure. The Counsers bore a son who died of a plague within a month and who Essex openly doubted was his own issue. At uh, any rate, he immediately positioned for a judicial separation on the grounds of his wife's adultery. A point of interest here is unlike Scotland's divorce, it was not an option in England at the time. Elizabeth denied it, of course, claiming he was in, she was an innocent victim of a conspiracy by his lordship's friends and feared her great influence over him. The court didn't agree and Essex did get his separation. Unfortunately, what he also got was his, uh, was his uh, renowned nickname as the Great Cuckold. So uh, with his lordship, there was, uh, well, not when he was involved, there was none of this. Uh, but there was a little bit of how's your father, how's your mother, and how's your uncle going on the side, I think, definitely, without a doubt. A um, lot of the, this sort of, yeah, yeah, some of that going on as well, without a doubt. Um, but I mean, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't suffer a, a, a fate worse than uh, worse than death in this sense of the word. Uh, but the whole situation was rather more of this. Well, that's when he entered the bedroom, anyway. Okay, so we're opening up. We're going to be opening up uh, another Anglo antique arc. So today we have a couple of food items. We have the fondant fancies, or French fancies, if you're late to the party. Uh, this is one to eat on a Sunday tea whilst watching, uh, while watching Bullseye. So you basically, these were Mr. Kipling's extraordinary cakes. Uh, you had a, a brown fondant fancy. They were basically icing covered with a brown swirl or a white swirl on top. Um, and um, a little bit like a Twinkie, I suppose. Um, and uh, you had a brown, a pink, and a yellow. And it was covered in, uh, in this sort of uh, icing, and it was a sponge cake inside. It was absolutely delicious. Um, so, I mean, I delved into the yellows, then the brown, then the pink, I think. They were my, that was my batting order, I suppose, when it comes to the uh, uh, Mr. Kipling's uh, French fondant fancies. Um, but I mean, in terms of uh, in terms of other people, I mean, everybody changed, you know, what they what they liked here. But um, they all, I mean, the the yellow ones tasted slightly lemony. Now, the sort of um, peanut gallery on Twitter said they all tasted the same, um, and apparently there were Christmas and Easter versions as well, although I'd never seen them. Uh, one uh, writer said, uh, "I know someone who once ate the whole pack while sitting." Um, on the sofa um, easily done this one did pink first then yellow then the brown ones um, and uh, they used to uh, somebody used to eat the fondant fancies and uh, have a caramac bar at the same time as well um, and then somebody has one with a yellow the yellow one which still has a candle in it that they've preserved for like 25 years I don't think I would eat that uh, now uh, if I were you um, and then somebody else uh, accompanied them with Viennese whirls, just in case you didn't have enough sugar. And then somebody had uh, sardines on toast, and then they had the fondant fancies for dessert. 
I, I don't know if we were able to get the taste of the sardines out before you had the fondant fancies. So, so there we go. We had the Mr. Kipling's fondant fancies, French fancies, as uh, one part of the uh, Anglo antique arc uh, this week. And then secondly on the antique arc, it, we have the, uh, the famous chip butty. So uh, I know some people calling the chip butty is where you put uh, chips or crisps in the middle of two pieces of bread and call that the chip butty or uh, you actually had the chips the chips and the fish and chips or the french fries in a sandwich so a chip butty a sandwich made of french fries is a food for mom that only happened in britain where the humble spud is a food group of its own every country seems to have its own versions of a heart attack on a plate foods in britain is no exception uh, one of these may be the chip butty it's basically a sandwich of french fries or chips uh, between bread slavered with butter thus the name the butter the humble uh, chip butty is so deeply embedded in english lad culture that there's even a song about it greasy chip butty song uh and also it's an anthem sung by the english football club sheffield united the john denver's annie song and it actually it, it, we actually have a description of how to make the infamous chip butty um and it, to sauce or not sauce crispy chips or floppy ones uh, sliced bread crusty rolls or buns the recipe for the perfect chip butty um, it's like it's like sort of mac and cheese in America I suppose uh, whatever else they may dispute about the chip butty most Brits agree that the plain flabby white bread is a proper container for this sandwich of starch on starch the bread only exists to hold it all together and make no claims of flavor of its own your loaf should be soft, white, undistinguished. This is not a place for some sort of artisanal sourdough. Softened salt butter, thickly spread on cheap white bread. Uh, don't hold back if you're worried about the fats, the cooked chips, french fries. The chips should be fluffy on the inside, but pale on the outside. If you're clever about deep fat frying, you can make twice cooked chips and absolutely delicious. Salt liberally uh, so, uh, sprinkled over the hot chips as well. Uh, now, sauces. Uh, purists find the hot salty chips and buttered bread enough but do you want to add some ketchup or some hp houses of parliament sauce I, I think the melted cheese on there is an absolute no-no that's basically an abomination to be honest so the construction aficionados insist that it's important when you put your sandwich together to arrange the chips neatly in two or three layers each layer perpendicular to the one underneath it you want to make sure it's tightly packed cross-hatched arrangement Thus, apparently, has an impact uh, on the on the taste. Uh, so, when to eat chip butties? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, basically any time you can suspend your healthy eating concerns and enjoy guilt-free indulgence. They're especially good at soaking up alcohol after a night on the town. So, we're having a real food pack show today. Um, cheese. Well, as you know, my Twitter handle is at Keep Cheese. I am a cheese connoisseur. I, um, I, I see myself as a human from Archery. Um, so Parmesan cheese prices expected to skyrocket this year. Uh, Parmesan is expected to be the big next cheese to experience a big price change amid the coronavirus pandemic. Although cheese prices overall increased by 160% over the summer during supply chain issues caused by the pandemic, Parmesan buyers have let to experience a dramatic shift since the cheese takes around 10 months to age before hitting the shelves. However, experts at Eat This Not That uh, said that prices are expected to skyrocket over the next six months. The price is expected to increase by uh, $1.50 to $2 per pound. 
Uh, back in April 2020, cheesemakers were feeling the enormous loss of retail and food service business during to COVID. Due to subsequent changes in the available milk supply, cheese became significantly more expensive to make, with the outlet reporting that the cost of producing Parmesan uh, at Wisconsin Schumann Cheese Plant increased by 60%. Oh, it's like it makes me want to weep here with the price of the cheese uh, skyrocketing. But I have an idea. Now, we're all about diversifying, whether it's the sourdough, the banana bread, uh, newer lines of business. I think I am going to start Chappie the Butler's Fromagerie. Um, I'm going to make my own cheese. Now, I have a lot of the supplies already, you know. I don't have any of the curds yet, but I do have my old perforated boxer shorts. Now, I believe, I do believe, ladies and mantelpieces, that these perforated boxer shorts or shredded socks even could be used as a rustic cheesecloth. Um, you know, I could make the cheese. Uh, I think an unfinished basement is a perfect place to store the cheese, unless one has mice, okay? And I, and I do believe I could press my own artisanal cheese. I'm sort of heavy enough. I could get the blocks. I could, you know, get a, uh, some sort of wood uh, flattened piece and lay on it and flatten the cheese and press my own cheese. Uh, I think it would be absolutely perfect. So, I mean, it made me think about recipes for homemade cheese. What do I need? I need a large pot, a uh, thermometer, a long knife, cheesecloth. As I said, I have the perforated boxer shorts. I mean, the ingredients are fairly simple from two gallons of cow or goat's milk to uh, metabolic cultures, liquid animal rennet. Uh, and then there's only 20 steps to make the cheese. It's 20 steps to make delicious cheddar. And then you let it mature and rest and evolve and then slice it off on some crackers or make a croque monsieur or something. Maybe this is what we need to do, folks. With our cheese prices increasing, we need to make our own cheese. We have the ingredients. We have the wherewithal. We have the storage space. Let's get pressing our own cheese. So we have more Trump or trombone, uh, where we take some of the most awful headlines of the week and discover whether it's a uh, Trump or indeed a raspy type of swah-wah-wah trombone. Um, the Simpsons predicted Kamala Harris's um, now I probably said that wrong. Kumala, Kamala, and I know I, I've read an article where the, one of the justices got her name wrong when she was being sworn in as vice president. So I probably just messed it up as well. Um, but fans of The Simpsons are convinced that the comedy show predicted the U.S. vice president outfit at the inauguration um, uh, earlier this month. Um, fans of The Simpsons are convinced the show predicted that uh, Kamala Harris would become vice president. Eagle-eyed viewers said her outfit at the U.S. President Joe Biden's inauguration was identical to the one worn by uh, Lisa Simpson in, uh, indeed, an old episode. So a purple pantsuit and a pearl necklace, well, that's my normal weekend wear. Yes, creaking all over the place. And Little Bigfoot played with Camber Car before 10-foot uh, Dad stormed over, beating his chest. A man who ventured to do an isolated campsite in thousands of acres of woodlands claims that he became overcome with fear at a 10-foot creature that could easily crush his spine. Um, the curious Bigfoot family is a King Camber carrying in his tent after he claims to have watched a 10-foot beast beat his chest. An incredible sighting of the so-called Monster of Monroe County has been reported by the Beast of North America author Andrew McGrath. In 
his research, Andy uncovered a vivid witness account from 2018 by a man who says he uh, locked eyes on uh, not one but two Sasquatches while camping with his girlfriend in Monroe County, southern Indiana. After hearing footsteps, which he thought might be a, another camper up to mischief, I heard the door handle on my uh, Nissan get pulled in, so I came out of my tent pretty quickly and pretty aggressively, but nobody was there. Uh, this had been going on for 15-20 minutes and I started feeling a little bit nervous. Um, so I went back to the tent, but this time I, I adjusted the rain fly a little bit so I could see outside and try to catch a glimpse of whatever I kept hearing. Catching neither a human or known animal was the last thing he expected to spot. The man continued, It didn't look like uh, anything I'd ever seen before. I ran in the general direction I saw it go, but it had gone. Uh, as I'm standing next to the tent shining a light, I realize I'm looking at a large figure and I did not believe in Bigfoot until the exact moment in time. It was about seven foot tall, incredibly hairy, and it was beating its chest. Um, and it was about 30 foot away, but he still froze solid to where he was standing. Uh, I mean, it, it could just be like a Colorado type mountain man uh, with a hessute type of look, uh, lack of manscaping too, because of lockdown. And teen left looked like an Oompa Loompa after hilarious fake tanning blunder. Um, Kira Demoneski purchases a Samaritz one hour fake tan with hopes of looking like she spent two weeks uh, sunning it abroad, but the awkward mistake shattered her dreams. Teen accidentally used the ultra dark fake tan and was left looking like an Oompa Loompa. Uh, Kira Demoneski purchases a Samaritz one hour fast tan mousse from the home bargain section. Uh, but it was only after she applied it all over her body that she realised her mistake. She had picked up the darker than dark shade. As she waited for the colour to full, uh, develop fully, she wandered around the living room to her stunned mother, who was in hysterics. In the clip, uh, the mortified, pyjama-clad teen can be said covering her face as he glares, I don't feel my face because it's weird. It's so, so, so weird. The teen admitted she had grabbed the darker shade without realising the fact that it was quick acting would develop in just 60 minutes. Um, Kira's been fake tanning for about a year said her mother uh, this time she came down the stairs and I'm like oh my god what have you done she doesn't do it all the time she does it for special occasions but this time it was random it was absolute lockdown madness I mean maybe Trump could like diversify his business interests now you could get a Cheeto spray tan uh, a heavily discounted red hat and a Viking helmet and a three for one deal <coughs> And a woman should be sentenced to a life in prison for washing chocolate off a Kit Kat. A woman took to TikTok to share how she eats her Kit Kats. Instead of breaking the bar in half and digging in, she washes all the chocolate off because she says it was too sweet. In this case, uh, it's have a prison break, don't eat a Kit Kat. There's waffathin intelligence there, surely. And Amazon is being urged by customers to rethink its new logo as the new design for the app is uh, being heavily mocked. Customers were quick to suggest that the online retailer rethink their design as some joke that it looked like Adolf Hitler. It calls all sorts of furor furore, uh, but maybe you could collect your items by clicking and then goose-stepping. And a couple find wedding gift they were told not to open nine years after getting married. Kathy and Brandon Gunn took to Facebook to share what Kathy's great aunt had given them a wedding present held the key to saving a marriage. 
The couple opened the wedding gift nine years after they got married, blown away what they saw inside. After tying the knot in September 2007, Kathy and Brandon Gunn, a couple from Michigan, received a gift from Kathy's great-aunt Allison. But upon receiving the gift, they were given very strict instructions, do not open until the first disagreement. Uh, for years, the couple lay, lay, the present lay forgotten about unopened, and despite the fact that the couple had plenty of disagreements, arguments, and slammed doors. But it was only when they were trying to think of what gifts their friends for the upcoming wedding had given them uh, at the time, nine years later, they remembered the gift that the aunt had given them. Um, writing on the Love Matters group on Facebook, Kathy said, I thought back to our wedding day nearly nine years ago and tried to recall the gifts. The funny thing is the gift that meant the very most was still sitting in the closet. All along, we assumed the contents of the box, the key to saving a marriage, an old trick, unbeknownst by uh, rookies. After all, my great aunt and uncle had been married for nearly half a century. The couple finally opened a mysterious parcel in August, and they found what uh, meant very much to them. Inside were two notes, one addressed to Kathy and one to Brandon, which were wrapped around notes of money. Kathy's uh, letter said, Kathy, go get a pizza, shrimp, or something you both like, Aunt Allison, and get a bath ready. While Brandon's read, Brandon, go get flowers and a bottle of wine. Love, Aunt Allison. I mean, it's the ultimate regifting scam. You could give an awful present, then it can't be returned, obviously, nine years later. Mind you, the, the couple themselves could uh, keep the present and regift at their next wedding or even a divorce party. And finally, a restaurant hosted swingers party with guests having sex on the tables during COVID. A restaurant in Brazil is accused of hosting a sex party amid the coronavirus pandemic. Staff allegedly had sex on the tables where the customers had eaten earlier. I mean, let's hope it wasn't a dipping fondue party. I wouldn't try the cheesy sauce or certainly not go near the chocolate fountain. Okay, so, walking the dogs this morning. Now we've had our obelisks all around the world. We've had crop circles. Yet this morning, as I trudged through the mud, I saw these very strange diamond-looking shapes imprinted on the dirt and they look like alien symbols. Could they be communicating from another dimension? Maybe a wormhole in the future? These green wrinkled creatures are trying to tell me something. And then I discovered that my feet with the yak tracks on them were leaving these alien symbols behind in the sodden mud. I mean, it could be communication hieroglyphics of a lost time or to be discovered world. They could maybe the same symbolism, symbolism as crop circles or UFO sightings for the future. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a little worried. I mean, I nearly felt like going across my path and scrubbing them out because I think it could cause very severe confusion and paranoia about alien sightings. I mean, we may need to get Bruce Willis with his, uh, with his white vest on and he may need to save the world again with an Aerospace soundtrack in the background. I think that could be the only solution to people finding these yak track marks in the, in the, in the mud. Uh, it's going to be, a, I think it's going to go viral. They're going to see these, these tracks and people are going to think that E.T. has finally come home. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast the last few days. I'm going to be back again with many of the topics we didn't discuss today. Uh, we'll rediscover them 
and revitalize them next week. It's Chappy out. Um, it's uh, Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese. This has been episode number 57 at Keep Cheese on Twitter and uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram. Like and subscribe across all the audio platforms. And we finish today with a Rossetti poem, January. For January, I give you vests of skins and mighty fires in hall and touches lit, chambers and happy beds with all things fit, smooth silken sheets, rough furry companions, and sweet meats baked, and one that deftly spins, warm arras and dowy cloth and store of it and on this merry manner still to twit the wind when mostly his mastery when the wind wins or issuing forth at seasons in the day you'll fling soft handfuls of the fair white snow among the damsels standing around in play and when you're all tired and all aglow indoors again the court shall hold its sway and free the fellowship continues so chappy out au revoir and have a wonderful delightful week as we move into February.